Chapter 9 In the enormous whale belly of steel and stone carved out to form the long-enduring old opera house, Rick Deckard found an echoing, noisy, slightly miscontrived rehearsal taking place. As he entered, he recognized the music. Mozart's The Magic Flute, the first act in its final scenes. The Moor's Slaves, in other words, the chorus, had taken up their song a bar too soon, and this had nullified the simple rhythm of the magic bells. What a pleasure. He loved the magic flute. He seated himself in a dress circle seat. No one appeared to notice him, and made himself comfortable. Now, Papageno, in his fantastic pelt of bird feathers, had joined Pamina to sing words which always brought tears to Rick's eyes, when and if he happened to think about it. Kuntejeder brave man, solke glocken finden, seine feinde werden dann ohne mirisch winden. Well, Rick thought. In real life, no such magic bells exist that make your enemy effortlessly disappear. Too bad. And Mozart, not long after writing the magic flute, had died, in his thirties, of kidney disease, and had been buried in an unmarked pauper's grave. Thinking this, he wondered if Mozart had had any intuition that the future did not exist that he had already used up his little time. Maybe I have, too, Rick thought as he watched the rehearsal move along. This rehearsal will end. The performance will end. The singers will die. Eventually, the last score of the music will be destroyed in one way or another. Finally, the name Mozart will vanish. The dust will have won if not on this planet, then another. We can evade it a while, as the Andes can evade me and exist a finite stretch longer. But I get them or some other bounty hunter gets them. In a way, he realized, I'm part of the form-destroying process of entropy. The Rosen Association creates, and I unmake. Or anyhow, so it must seem to them. On the stage, Papageno and Pamina engaged in a dialogue. He stopped his introspection to listen. Papageno, my child, what should we now say? Pamina, the truth, that's what we will say. Leaning forward and peering, Rick studied Pamina in her heavy, convoluted robes, with her wimple trailing its veil about her shoulders and face. He re-examined the poop sheet, then leaned back, satisfied. I've now seen my third Nexus 6 android, he realized. This is Luba Luft. A little ironic, the sentiment her role calls for. However vital, active, and nice-looking, an escaped android could hardly tell the truth. About itself, anyhow. On the stage, Luba Luft sang, and he found himself surprised at the quality of her voice. It rated with that of the best, 
even that of notables in his collection of historic tapes. The Rosen Association built her well, he had to admit. And again he perceived himself subspecie eternitatis, the form destroyer called forth by what he heard and saw here. Perhaps the better she functions, the better a singer she is, the more I am needed. If the androids had remained substandard, like the ancient Q40s made by Durain Associates, there would be no problem and no need of my skill. I wonder when I should do it, he asked himself. As soon as possible, probably. At the end of the rehearsal, when she goes to her dressing room. At the end of the act, the rehearsal ended temporarily. It would resume, the conductor said in English, French, and German, in an hour and a half. The conductor then departed. The musicians left their instruments and also left. Getting to his feet, Rick made his way backstage to the dressing rooms. He followed the tail end of the cast, taking his time and thinking, it's better this way, getting it immediately over with. I'll spend as short a time talking to her and testing her as possible. As soon as I'm sure. But technically, he could not be sure until after the test. Maybe Dave guessed wrong on her, he conjectured. I hope so. But he doubted it. Already, instinctively, his professional sense had responded. And he had yet to err throughout years with the department. Stopping a super, he asked for Miss Luft's dressing room. The super, wearing makeup and the costume of an Egyptian spear carrier, pointed. Rick arrived at the indicated door, saw an ink-written note tacked to it reading, Miss Luft, private, and knocked. Come in? He entered. The girl sat at her dressing table, a much-handled cloth-bound score open on her knees, marking here and there with a ballpoint pen. She still wore her costume and makeup, except for the wimple. That she had set down on its rack. Yes, she said, looking up. The stage makeup enlarged her eyes. Enormous and hazel, they fixed on him and did not waver. I am busy, as you can see. Her English contained no remnant of an accent. Rick said, You compare favorably to Schwarzkopf. Who are you? Her tone held cold reserve, and that other cold which he had encountered in so many androids. Always the same. Great intellect, ability to accomplish much, but also this. He deplored it. And yet, without it, he could not track them down. I'm from the San Francisco Police Department, he said. Oh? The huge and intense eyes did not flicker, did not respond. What are you here about? Her tone, oddly, seemed gracious. Seating himself in a nearby chair, he unzipped his briefcase. 
I have been sent here to administer a standard personality profile test to you. It won't take more than a few minutes. Is it necessary? She gestured toward the big, cloth-bound score. I have a good deal I must do. Now she had begun to look apprehensive. It's necessary. He got out the Voigt-Kampf instruments, began setting them up. An IQ test? No. Empathy. I'll have to put on my glasses. She reached to open a drawer of her dressing table. If you can mark the score without your glasses, you can take this test. I'll show you some pictures and ask you several questions. Meanwhile, he got up and walked to her and, bending, pressed the adhesive pad of sensitive grids against her deeply tinted cheek. And this light, he said, adjusting the angle of the pencil beam, and that's it. Do you think I'm an android? Is that it? Her voice had faded almost to extinction. I'm not an android. I haven't even been on Mars. I've never even seen an android. Her elongated lashes shuddered involuntarily. He saw her trying to appear calm. Do you have information that there's an android in the cast? I'd be glad to help you. And if I were an android, would I be glad to help you? An android, he said, doesn't care what happens to another android. That's one of the indications we look for. Then, Miss Luft said, you must be an android. That stopped him. He stared at her. Because, she continued, your job is to kill them, isn't it? You're what they call, she tried to remember. A bounty hunter, Rick said. But I'm not an android. This test you want to give me? Her voice now had begun to return. Have you taken it? Yes. He nodded. A long, long time ago, when I first started with the department. Maybe that's a false memory. Don't androids sometimes go around with false memories? Rick said, my superiors know about the test. It's mandatory. Maybe there was once a human who looked like you, and somewhere along the line you killed him and took his place and your superiors don't know. She smiled, as if inviting him to agree. Let's get on with the test, he said, getting out the sheets of questions. I'll take the test, Luba Luft said, if you'll take it first. Again he stared at her, stopped in his tracks. Wouldn't that be more fair, she asked. Then I could be sure of you. I don't know. You seem so peculiar and hard and strange. She shivered, then smiled again, hopefully. You wouldn't be able to administer the Voigt-Kampf test. 
It takes considerable experience. Now please listen carefully. These questions will deal with social situations which you might find yourself in. What I want from you is a statement of response, what you do. And I want the response as quickly as you can give it. One of the factors I'll record is the time lag, if any. He selected his initial question. You're sitting watching TV and suddenly you discover a wasp crawling on your wrist. He checked with his watch, counting the seconds, and checked, too, with the twin dials. What's a wasp? Luba Luft asked. A stinging bug that flies. Oh, how strange. Her immense eyes widened with childlike acceptance, as if he had revealed the cardinal mystery of creation. Do they still exist? I've never seen one. They died out because of the dust. Don't you really know what a wasp is? You must have been alive when there were wasps. It's only been... Tell me the German word. He tried to think of the German word for wasp, but couldn't. Your English is perfect, he said angrily. My accent, she corrected, is perfect. It has to be, for roles, for Purcell and Walton and Vaughan Williams. But my vocabulary isn't very large. She glanced at him shyly. Vesper, he said remembering the German word. Ach, yes, eine Vesper. She laughed. And what was the question? I forget already. Let's try another. Impossible now to get a meaningful response. You were watching an old movie on TV, a movie from before the war. It shows a banquet in progress. The entree... He skipped over the first part of the question. Consists of boiled dogs stuffed with rice. Nobody would kill and eat a dog, Luba Luft said. They're worth a fortune. But I guess it would be an imitation dog. Ersatz, right? But those are made of wires and motors. They can't be eaten. Before the war, he grated. I wasn't alive before the war. But you've seen old movies on TV. Was the movie made in the Philippines? Why? Because, Luba Luft said, they used to eat boiled dogs stuffed with rice in the Philippines. I remember reading that. But your response, he said, I want your social, emotional Moral reaction. To the movie? She pondered. I'd turn it off and watch Buster Friendly. Why would you turn it off? Well, she said hotly, who the hell wants to watch an old movie set in the Philippines? Whatever happened in the Philippines except the Bataan Death March, and would you want to watch that? She glared at him indignantly. On his dials, the needles swung in all directions. After a pause, he said carefully, You rent a mountain cabin. Yeah, she nodded.
Go on, I'm waiting. In an area still verdant. Pardon? She cupped her ear. I don't ever hear that term. Still trees and bushes growing. The cabin is rustic, knotty pine with a huge fireplace. On the walls, someone has hung old maps, Courier and Ives prints, and above the fireplace, a deer's head has been mounted, a full stag with developed horns. The people with you admire the decor of the cabin, and I don't understand Courier or Ives or decor, Luba Luft said. She seemed to be struggling, however, to make out the terms. Wait. She held up her hand earnestly. With rice, like in the dog. Courier is what makes the rice courier rice. It's curry in German. He could not fathom for the life of him if Luba Luft's semantic fog had purpose. After consultation with himself, he decided to try another question. What else could he do? You're dating a man, he said, and he asks you to visit his apartment. While you're there... Oh, nine, Luba broke in. I wouldn't be there. That's easy to answer. That's not the question. Did you get the wrong question? But I understand that. Why is a question I understand the wrong one? Aren't I supposed to understand? Nervously fluttering... She rubbed her cheek and detached the adhesive disc. It dropped to the floor, skidded and rolled under her dressing table. Ach, Gott, she muttered, bending to retrieve it. A ripping sound, that of cloth tearing, her elaborate costume. I'll get it, he said, and lifted her aside. He knelt down, groped under the dressing table until his fingers located the disc. When he stood up, he found himself looking into a laser tube. Your questions, Luba Luft said in a crisp, formal voice, began to do with sex. I thought they would, finally. You're not from the police department. You're a sexual deviant. You can look at my identification. He reached toward his coat pocket. His hand, he saw, had again begun to shake, as it had with Polakoff. If you reach in there, Luba Luft said, I'll kill you. You will anyhow. He wondered how it would have worked out if he had waited until Rachel Rosen could join him. Well, no use dwelling on that. Let me see some more of your questions. She held out her hand, and reluctantly, he passed her the sheets. In a magazine, you come across a full-page color picture of a nude girl. Well, that's one. You became pregnant by a man who has promised to marry you. The man goes off with another woman, your best friend. You get an abortion. The pattern of your questioning is obvious. I'm going to call the police. Still holding the laser tube in his direction, she crossed the room, picked up the vid phone, dialed the operator. 
Connect me with the San Francisco Police Department, she said. I need a policeman. What you're doing, Rick said with relief, is the best idea possible. Yet it seemed strange to him that Luba had decided to do this. Why didn't she simply kill him? Once the patrolman arrived, her chance would disappear and it all would go his way. She must think she's human, he decided. Obviously, she doesn't know. A few minutes later, during which Luba carefully kept the laser tube on him, a large harness bull arrived in his archaic blue uniform with gun and star. All right, he said at once to Luba. Put that thing away. She set down the laser tube and he picked it up to examine it, to see if it carried a charge. Now what's been going on here? he asked her. Before she could answer, he turned to Rick. Who are you? he demanded. Luba Luft said, He came into my dressing room. I've never seen him before in my life. He pretended to be taking a poll or something, and he wanted to ask me questions. I thought it was all right, and I said okay, and then he began asking me obscene questions. Let's see your identification, the harness bull said to Rick, his hand extended. As he got out his ID, Rick said, I'm a bounty hunter with the department. I know all the bounty hunters, the harness bull said as he examined Rick's wallet. With the SF Police Department? My supervisor is Inspector Harry Bryant, Rick said. I've taken over Dave Holden's list now that Dave's in the hospital. As I say, I know all the bounty hunters, the harness bull said. And I've never heard of you. He handed Rick's ID back to him. Call Inspector Bryant, Rick said. There isn't any Inspector Bryant, the harness bull said. It came to Rick what was going on. You're an android, he said to the harness bull. Like Miss Luft. Going to the vid phone, he picked up the receiver himself. I'm going to call the department. He wondered how far he would get before the two androids stopped him. The number, the harness bull said, is, I know the number. Rick dialed, presently had the police switchboard operator. Let me talk to Inspector Bryant, he said. Who is calling, please? This is Rick Deckard. He stood waiting. Meanwhile, off to one side, the harness bull was getting a statement from Luba Luft. Neither paid any attention to him. A pause, and then Harry Bryant's face appeared on the vid screen. What's doing? he asked Rick. Some trouble, Rick said. One of those on Dave's list managed to call in and get a so-called patrolman out here. I can't seem to prove to him who I am. He says he knows all the bounty hunters in the department and he's never heard of me. He added, He hasn't heard of you either. Bryant said, Let me talk to him. Inspector Bryant wants to talk to you. Rick held out the vidphone receiver. 
the harness bull ceased questioning Miss Luft and came over to take it. Officer Crams, the harness bull said briskly. A pause. Hello? He listened, said hello several times more, waited, then turned to Rick. There's nobody on the line. And nobody on the screen. He pointed to the vidphone screen, and Rick saw nothing on it. Taking the receiver from the harness bull, Rick said, Mr. Bryant? He listened, waited. Nothing. I'll dial again. He hung up, waited, then redialed the familiar number. The phone rang, but no one answered it. The phone rang on and on. Let me try, Officer Cram said, taking the receiver away from Rick. You must have misdialed. He dialed. The number is 842. I know the number, Rick said. Officer Cram's calling in, the harness bull said into the phone receiver. Is there an Inspector Bryant connected with the department? A short pause. Well, what about a bounty hunter named Rick Deckard? Again, a pause. You're sure? Could he have recently? Oh, I see. Okay, thanks. No, I have it under control. Officer Crams rang off, turned toward Rick. I had him on the line, Rick said. I talked to him. He said he'd talk to you. It must be phone trouble. The connection must have been broken somewhere along the way. Didn't you see? Bryant's face showed on the screen, and then it didn't. He felt bewildered. Officer Crams said, I have Miss Luft's statement, Deckard, so let's go down to the Hall of Justice so I can book you. Okay, Rick said. To Luba Luft, he said, I'll be back in a short while. I'm still not finished testing you. He's a deviant, Luba Luft said to Officer Crams. He gives me the creeps. She shivered. What opera are you practicing to give? Officer Crams asked her. The magic flute, Rick said. I didn't ask you, I asked her. The harness bull gave him a glance of dislike. I'm anxious to get to the Hall of Justice, Rick said. This matter should be straightened out. He started toward the door of the dressing room, his briefcase gripped. I'll search you first. Officer Crams deftly frisked him and came up with Rick's service pistol and laser tube. He appropriated both after a moment of sniffing the muzzle of the pistol. This has been fired recently, he said. I retired an Andy just now, Rick said. The remains are still in my car up on the roof. Okay, Officer Crams said. We'll go up and have a look. As the two of them started from the dressing room, Miss Luft followed as far as the door. He won't come back again, will he, officer? I'm really afraid of him. He's so strange. If he's got the body of someone he killed upstairs in his car, 
Cram said. He won't be coming back. He nudged Rick forward, and together the two of them ascended by elevator to the roof of the opera house. Opening the door of Rick's car, Officer Krams silently inspected the body of Polikoff. An android, Rick said. I was sent after him. He almost got me by pretending to be... They'll take your statement at the Hall of Justice, Officer Krams interrupted. He nudged Rick over to his parked, plainly marked police car. There, by police radio, he put in a call for someone to come pick up Polikoff. Okay, Deckard, he said then, ringing off. Let's get started. With the two of them aboard, the patrol car zoomed up from the roof and headed south. Something, Rick noticed, was not as it should be. Officer Krams had steered the car in the wrong direction. The Hall of Justice, Rick said, is north, on Lombard. That's the old Hall of Justice, Officer Krams said. The new one is on mission. That old building, it's disintegrating. It's a ruin. Nobody's used that for years. Has it been that long since you last got booked? Take me there, Rick said, to Lombard Street. He understood it all now, saw what the androids working together had achieved. He would not live beyond this ride. For him, it was the end, as it had almost been for Dave, and probably eventually would be. That girl's quite a looker, Officer Krams said. Of course, with that costume, you can't tell about her figure. But I'd say it's damn okay. Rick said, admit to me that you're an android. Why? I'm not an android. What do you do, roam around killing people and telling yourself they're androids? I can see why Miss Luft was scared. It's a good thing for her that she called us. Then take me to the Hall of Justice on Lombard. Like I said, it'll take about three minutes, Rick said. I want to see it. Every morning I check in for work there. I want to see that it's been abandoned for years, as you say. Maybe you're an android, Officer Krams said. With a false memory, like they give them. Had you thought of that? He grinned frigidly as he continued to drive south. Conscious of his defeat and failure, Rick settled back and, helplessly, waited for what came next. Whatever the androids had planned, now that they had physical possession of him. But I did get one of them, he told himself. I got Polikoff. And Dave got two. Hovering over mission, Officer Krams's police car prepared to descend for its landing.